0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used
1: in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting Radiolamon.com.
0: The FIA World Endurance Championship on RS1. On
1: RS1. Part
0: of the Radio Show Limited Network.
1: A very warm welcome, everybody, and uh, delighted that you can join us for a look back on what turned out to be a very, very long season in the FIA World Endurance Championship. This was season eight for 2019-2020, and uh, heading into a new era, or what we thought was a new era at the time, with new winter scheduling. My name's Johnny Palmer. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Bruce Jones, who's been keeping me company uh, since way back in September 2019, Bruce, would you believe it, when this season first started?
0: I was but a young man back in those days, <laughs> and now I'm old and grey. Gosh, it really is a test of the memory. Uh, it, you know, when the season gets out of kilter, we went to these sort of seasons, that championships that spanned a couple of years, it started to become a little bit confusing. I like the element of it finishing at Le Mans, but, you know, in, in the... When I look back 10 years hence, it's getting, I, I will find it quite hard to remember which was which season. And so, of course, we're now heading into one that starts at the start of a calendar year. That'll be less confusing uh, for people like me. But a, a lot has happened in those, um, what are we talking, 16 months.
1: Last only 10 months to start at Silverstone, the back end of August to the start of September and then be completed at Le Mans, which at the time was planned for June 2020. So Bahrain returned to the calendar for 2019-2020, having not featured since the, the super season. Um, and also or well, having not featured in the super season rather 18 to 19 so it had a season out we also if you remember Bruce had, had a planned trip to Interlagos in Brazil and that would return for the first time in five campaigns now I remember one of the big talking points when the calendar was first announced at Silverstone 2018 was this idea of changing the race lengths for the new season so we would have a, a four hours of Silverstone that didn't go down too well. I remember with the fans at uh, the 18 event, followed by a month later the six hours of Fuji, another four hour event in November at the Shanghai International Circuit in China, and then uh, the one of a couple of races that were planned to be very long indeed, eight hours at Bahrain to run from the day into the night. Then a seven week break, and originally we were due to go to Brazil. Um, then to Florida to repeat the previous year's uh, 1,000 miles of Sebring on the Friday of the famous 12 hours of Sebring, and then in April, Spa, followed by Le Mans. So uh, let's just talk about that uh, idea that did actually come to fruition, which was the, the change of race lengths. How did, you, how did you think that all went down? Well, I was su- totally surprised after four hours that four hours went so
0: quickly at Silverstone that... I get what the fans were saying. They wanted more of what they're accustomed to, the long ones plus the six hours, the six hours being the standard. But in a way, I sort of quite like having different length races because it it gives less driver time, but teams have to think about different ways of slicing their races. And I quite like that as they have to adapt to different tactics. But then when it was delivered, first at Silverstone back in September 2019, and then two months later at Shanghai, they did feel a little bit short. So what I thought was a good idea maybe didn't manifest itself in a way that was quite as good as I expected.
1: I did enjoy the the longer races and because they were longer, or well, indeed the shorter ones as well, the tyre allocations changed and tyres at various events would be rather a moot point. So for a four-hour race, you were allowed uh, you were allowed three sets of tyres plus two extras, an extra set available for six-hour races and then as many as 26 individual tyres for the eight-hour occasions. Um, At the time, we thought we would be going to Sebring for the 1,000-mile event, which actually the first time that ran turned immediately into an eight-hour race uh, because it was the time differential or the mileage, whichever came first. And as soon as the first full-course yellow was thrown, I remember at that first edition of Sebring, it reverted to basically... A version of the Bahrain event um, there was plenty also of chatting about some changes within the entry Bruce Toyota back with the same cars that they'd run pretty much in the previous year and uh, one slight adjustment to a, a drive the driving lineup in that Fernando Alonso would exit the team and Brendan Hartley would come in to replace and I immediately thought maybe we're going to get some slightly more even results now between the 7 and the 8 because although it was never exploitably put by Toyota it did seem that the the Alonso car number 8 seemed to get uh, more favourable results or team decisions at events like Le Mans so Hartley in.
0: Hartley I I really rate Brendan as a driver and I thought he was a very good addition in a way because the car hadn't changed we needed something because there was a lot of focus on Toyota because Theirs was the, cha- the championship theirs to lose. They had to be pegged back with, with a sort of the more you achieve, the more we're going to peg you back with a sliding scale, which I found really quite complicated through the course of the season. But anyhow, it, it, it sort of refreshed the mix at Toyota because there was going to be more focus because they didn't have any direct natural rivals. And I guess this is a point, Johnny, at which we have to sort of explain because even at the time explaining it to the to the listeners and the viewers it was very complicated the performance balancing the world endurance championship had to go through
1: yeah well it was done on two levels essentially the equivalence of technology and that was in order to to plug the gap between the hybrid cars of which we only had two and they were the true manufacturers and at silverstone we actually had four other cars if you remember back that far all of them non-hybrids the return for around about a decade for a genetta in a top prototype class. They couldn't enter as Janetta themselves because they were in the privateer part of lmp one So the entrant officially was Team LNT, but the cars they brought, the Janetta G60 LTP1, with a new engine as well, the AER engine, which we'd seen previously in the SMP Racing Br engineering car and uh, AER's engine proving to be much much stronger in in testing for Ginetta so they were pretty buoyant uh, ahead of uh, what would turn out to be only a half season for the Yorkshire squad and also at Silverstone we had two of the Swiss entered Rebellion Racing R13s one for uh, a team that would see the whole season out, Bruno Senna, Gustavo Menezes and Norman Nato, but effectively a guest entry and therefore not scoring points. The number three car was at Silverstone for Nat Berton, Piper Durrani and Loic Duval. But the first job was actually to add, in total, 28 kilos to the two Toyotas in order to slow them down enough so that even in a single race like Silverstone, the Rebellions and the Genetas would be able to sort of match them but even at that stage bruce it was relying on toyota having a, a a real nightmare and they didn't at silverstone they ended up beating their rivals in lmp1 by by a lap so um you could see why the secondary slowing of toyota was then required we'll move on that onto that in a second but it, LMP1 was pretty good at Silverstone because we had six cars.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, the Genetas, you touched on their AER engines. They were fabulous in a straight line. They were really, really great at that. The Rebellions, we've seen them over the years. The R13, really good chassis. But with all the nips and tucks, the tweaks and the extra weight, the Toyotas were still controlling the field. And then we had that flurry of rain, and you're thinking, that might balance it. Oh, except, of course, the Toyotas are driven at all four corners. That's made it even worse. And, um, you know, they were easily able to keep their noses in front. And then, of course, when you've got a full-season entry and one that's just uh, appearing for the opening round and perhaps Le Mans later, which is the second rebellion, which one then hit trouble late in the race? Of course, it was the one that was supposed to be there all season. Menezes, Nato and Senna, car pushed into the garage. It was in the final... final moments of the race, last quarter of an hour or so, so really frustrating for them that they sort of stumbled at that first hurdle, but it was going to be Toyota all the way, and thereafter of course, their performance would be slowed increasingly. If you keep winning, you get more of a performance deficit for the next race.
1: The sliding scale of Success Handicap, but that wasn't to be introduced until Fuji. So uh, let's just turn our attention to LMP2s and one or two adjustments in the team there. Uh, We'll detail some of the returning teams, first of all. So again, two cars from Jota. One entered as Jackie Chan DC Racing, as it was the previous season, but the 38 became known exclusively as a Jota entry, so therefore changed its entrant flag from China to uh, Great Britain and their drivers for the opening race, at least would be Roberto Gonzalez and Antonio Felix da Costa to be joined by Anthony Davidson after round one, but Ant had had a carting accident, which meant that he d- suffered a, a pretty serious rib injury and ruled himself out of the opening round. That meant that Gonzalez and Felix da Costa would be points ahead of Davidson effectively for the rest of the season as they scored through the course of the year. Um, Signitech Alpine, no longer known as Matmut, but Signitech Alpine Elf, the new sponsor, with Thomas Laurent, Andre Negrau and Pierre Rag, multi-ELMS uh, champions and also former World Endurance champions as well. So good to have those three back, particularly with such a big team name. Racing Team Nederland changed their Delara for an Orica 07, quite clearly the more competitive chassis, but the 29 machine returns with Fritz van Eerd, Guido van der Garde, and for a couple of races Jot van Outert with Nick de Vries busy in single seaters but Nick would do predominantly the most of the season with his fellow Dutchman a big step though for a couple of teams from the ELMS into the World Endurance Championship we'll spe- speak many times I'm sure about the 22 squad of United Autosports but uh, this was their first foray into world sports car racing Bruce
0: it was it was one of these uh, projects that you knew was on its way and um United Autosports we've we've watched them Johnny over the years we know what they can do but for them yeah, you know there might have been some question marks but they're a very confident team brilliant preparation and, and a really really strong lineup with Philippe Albuquerque Paul de Resta and uh, Phil Hansen, and they didn't come away with glory in the opening round. In fact, they retired, but, you know, they put the marker down. They were, in fact, they were the the very first retirement of the season in that opening round at Silverstone. But you could see the pace was going to be there for the rest of the year. Now, I'm just looking back at an entry list for my spotter's guide for Silverstone 2019. And in fact, the Jota, we knew there was a problem with Anthony Davidson, you mentioned, but originally Antonio Felix da Costa was not on the list. It was Pastor Maldonado whose name was down on my first spotter's guide. Okay. And so there obviously there was a little bit of a moving around at the last minute. But then again, uh, what, what a sub, if indeed he was a sub, Antonio Felix da Costa uh, was through this season. He's a driver who just gets better and better.
1: And the, the the key thing for Jota was that they had a silver driver in place because you can't run an LMP2 without one of those, but Roberto Gonzalez would do the whole season. It just meant plenty more driving for Felix Dacosta once he was announced, as you make the point, at Silverstone, although I suppose it was only a four-hour race. The other big headline news coming out of United Autosports was that prior to this season, they had been the importers for Ligier to the UK, whether that be at LMP2 or LMP3 level. Richard Dean, Zach Brown had a big decision to make. I think a number of future deals depended on them basically changing their allegiance to Ligier and making it another Orica 7 on the grid. That, looking back on the season now, appears to be a no-brainer, but it was a tricky decision at the time, Bruce.
0: Yes, I think, you know, in life you can always make decisions that send you up one particular path and you have to sort of effectively countermand uh, something like that and go the other way it's very hard but you're quite right they, they saw the writing was on the wall and you know with Zach Brown they got someone who can negotiate extremely well so I'm sure um, it was all smoothed over and they came here to deliver they obviously fancied themselves fancied their chances of establishing themselves and uh, apart from the opening round at Silverstone they did precisely that it was a really impressive uh, toe in the water for United Autosports.
1: Three other teams made the cross from the European Le Mans series to the WEC. So big step up for High Class Racing, who would be on a new tyre manufacturer for the 2019-2020 season as well. More on those in a, them in a second. Cool Racing of Switzerland, Nicola Lapierre and Antonin Borger, along with Alexandre Quani and the Chetilar Racing crew from Italy, the only effectively non-Orica on the grid, because once you rule out Alpine as being... Exactly the same as an Orica 07, the Delara P217 that had been run uh, or a similar chassis had been run by Racing Team Na- Nederland as already mentioned in the previous year. Uh, it was only the Italians staying uh, very much firm to their home brand that would uh, make a slight difference on the LMP2 grid. Much movement across the off-season in the LMGTE Pro category as well. Sadly, no more Ford GTs from the Chip Ganassi Team UK BMW team m closed their uh, campaign on the for the BMW M8, uh, and that left us, Bruce, with a small but perfectly formed field of six cars that would do the whole season, two from AF Corsa, obviously Ferraris, the two Porsche GT Team RSR19s, and the two Aston Martin cars. So um, we were guaranteed a great fight between those six, but... Uh, if if one or two fell away early on, then it was relatively slim pickings beyond that on the long on the longer distance races.
0: Yeah, there was always that opportunity. I I, I obviously like everybody else felt disappointed, but that uh, the other manufacturers decided not to continue. But it's a cyclical game. The World Endurance Championship GT will be both bolstered again pro level, I am sure. But the racing generally was fantastic, and um, I really always enjoy the GTE Pro battle because you could be 3 hours into the into a 6 or 8 hour race and you have the first at least 5 or 6 cars almost nose to tail so they they always entertain and they're very happy and comfortable running nose to tail and side by side and and they really do have it's not called pro for no reason fantastic pro driver lineups out there and um the thing about the GT class it's much much easier to have a favorite mark or manufacturer or brand than it is saying in p2 much as i love p2 prototypes but it, it people really get hold of their, their love for one or other of those uh, manufacturers and they're so distinctive out on the circuit it's easy to pick them apart from each other that's why i think they're, they're always always popular with fans whether listening on the radio watching on tv or best of all in years when you can go racing as we could at the start of this championship in 2019 from the spectator banking they're very distinctive and um you know i i well, as you can tell, I love the GT elements of the World Endurance Championship.
1: One of the big success stories came out of the GT part of the field because 11 GTE Am cars would turn up at Silverstone for the opening race. And some of those we had become very much used to, the 54 Spirit of Race team changing their name back to... Sort of parent outfit AF Corsa, but certainly no change for the driver lineup: Thomas Floor, Francesco Castellacci, and Giancarlo Fisichella. Team Project One, the German Porsche um, Carrera Cup team that we know from Porsche uh, Carrera Cup GB, more so doubled their uh, if, their um, campaign, and fifty-six and fifty-seven cars would appear on the grid. New team from Johnny Moles. Uh, company effectively red river sport would appear as a permanent fixture on the entry list mr racing came back as did the two cars for dempsey proton racing 77 and 88 a return for previous champions francois perrodo emmanuel collard and uh, also joined by new man nicholas nielsen although he's been making waves in ferraris for a good couple of seasons now both in the cup Uh, part of competition, but also now in the GTE uh, areas of world and domestic sports car racing. Golf Racing were back as well, at first in an original paint scheme, but that changed very quickly. TF Sport and Aston Martin were both on the previous season's entry list as they were uh, for this year as well. So 11 cars, exactly the same manufacturers as we found in Pro, but these all all had to be effectively year-old cars, So you can use the same Ferrari that is used in pro, likewise the Aston Martin. But because Porsche turned up with a brand new car, uh, it was the older type seen in AM. Okay, the variety is not necessarily there compared to, let's say, the world of GT3. But I think all three uh, manufacturers have have hit on something special when it comes to their customer programme. And that's the reason why they've sold so many cars and so many seats in GTE AM.
0: Oh, exactly so, Johnny, and I I really think this class always has to be strong in the World Endurance Championship because uh, people build their way up towards the big one, and any driver who likes driving a long-distance race, what is the big one? Of course, it's the Le Mans 24 hours, and there are various ways into the championship through the series like the European Le Mans series and the Asian Le Mans series, and um, it's not just for drivers of prototypes, so it's really great that this class is strong at the moment, and hopefully it will continue within years to come, other manufacturers coming into gte pro and then in time uh, their cars trickling down to gte am so we had plenty of variety but uh, that lineup particularly the peroto collard with a driver i've blown the trumpet for for a long time nicholas nielsen it was always going to be strong and um you know through the course of the season they had a really really good run in fact they they took the opening race by a full lap at silverstone uh, from the amr entry of paul Dalalana ross gunn and darren turner so they really got their season going in style
1: and Silverstone was our only chance of the year to actually see how everyone was going to get on at base weight because a uh, a rule that was introduced for the, tw- the whole of the 2019 season in European Le Mans series was success ballast touring car-esque success ballast and you either had 15, 10 or 5 kilos added to your car through the season if you were first, second, third in the championship and that was also applied in exactly the same way for the top three in the previous two races but we didn't need to worry about that in the opening race. Also uh, there was a tyre battle to look forward to in LMP2 but no longer would Dunlop part of the championship. Instead welcome from Akron, Ohio Goodyear returning to top-level sports car racing for the first time in 13 years. They used to supply teams, of course, in the American Le Mans series, as it was in 2006, and raced in the 24 Hours of Le Mans that year. But a big shift. This is all down to Goodyear basically being the parent company of Dunlop. And from a marketing perspective, perhaps easier for Goodyear to, to market from a world stance, that arm, rather than Dunlop, which is more of a, um, it's separated a franchise uh, affair around the world, i.e. Dunlop in Australia isn't necessarily the same way, isn't the same as Dunlop UK and Germany. So it was a a business decision, but nevertheless great to have such a historic tyre brand back on the grid, Bruce.
0: Absolutely. So fans of 1970s and 80s Formula One Goodyear just seem to be... (laughs) On every winning car, it was extraordinary. But no, it's good, and you totally get this this element about global branding and global markets—not necessarily all, well, split down into international markets. But yeah, good to have, and it was—it proved to be a very interesting battle in P2 between the Goodyear cars and the Michelin-shod cars uh, numerically. Sort of, I hadn't done the split between the
1: two of them in terms of
0: yeah, not only a few on Michelin really at the start of the season. Anyhow, maybe it changed the. Balance changed a bit for the Le Mans 24 hours, but it was a predominantly good year.
1: So onto Silverstone we went, and we would witness the world competitive debut of Porsche's new 911 RSR19. This new car, like its predecessor, mid-engined. So uh, for the purists of of Porsche, um, maybe a bit of sacrilege, but purely from a balance point of view, and also to get that rear diffuser as large as it needs to be to compete with Ferrari and Aston Martin, they would continue with that, with the German mark. They also, I think, toyed with the fact that they might go with a turbocharged engine, but decided in the end on a 4.2 naturally aspirated flat six, um, as I said, uh, between the driver and the rear axle with the gearbox rearward of that, but a slightly larger engine nevertheless. These Toyotas would run very heavy as well in an effort to try and slow them down and bring Janetta and rebellion back into the mix. And the quote from the organisers was that the primary goal of the, of equivalence of technology is to ensure that each technology competing in lmp one, both hybrid and non-hybrid has the same performance potential and, they actually made another, uh, it was 14 kilos initially for the prologue, which was held in July in 2019 at Barcelona. But after the prologue, they, they organisers realised another 14 kilos would be necessary. Well, we'll move on to the GTE result in a moment or two. But so, so qualifying would give us an idea, Bruce, as to the difference between Toyota and the four privateer cars. And I make the gap... Uh, half a second just over half a second between the conway Cam, Cam-, Cam- kobayashi and uh, jose maria lopez number seven car that took pole and the best of the privateers which was the number one car of bruno senna gustavo menezes and norman nato so reasonably close it was a question about uh keeping that as condensed as possible across four hours knowing as you've already mentioned that there was potential for poor weather as well
0: yeah it's <laughs> and again just touch on the fact they have four-wheel drive so uh I was encouraged by the gap being the size it was. Of course, maybe for the Toyota drivers, it felt like driving in the wrong gear, uh, the way their, their cars were so much appreciably heavier than they had been in the previous, well, not many months before at the end of the 2018-2019 championship at Le Mans. But it seemed all fair and square. But the trouble was, the Genettas as we commented, had, had great speed, but uh, were both fragile. In fact, one of them at one stage in the race lost a wheel. I think it was the number six car uh, Memory serves me correctly. Um, And and the rebellions were sort of there or thereabout. But as I said, the one they wanted to run the full season, the Senna Menezes NATO car, number one, that had its own problems late in the race. So Toyota had the race on a plate come the end of only four hours. In fact, had it been a six hour race or even an eight hour race, I think the advantage would have grown and grown thereafter. So you could say teething problems for rebellion, and even more so in terms of uh, the team LNT Genetas. So one and two for Toyota job done in the opening round
1: and the qualifying format which uh, we know is is going to be ditched for the new season in 2021 but for the whole of 1920 you have to have to use utilize uh, two drivers in LMP1 it's free choice but P2 slightly more specific in that your uh, silver rated driver along with a gold or a bro- or a platinum rather uh, has to have to do the tires but crucially uh, the lesser experienced and effectively slower driver has to do one lap and you add the two laps together and then divide by two to get a two uh, driver lap average and that determines where these cars are on the grid in GTE Pro again it's free choice as to who you are using qualifying but in GTE Am the really interesting part of it was that the bronze had to be involved in the qualifying and remember GTE Am lineups have to include one bronze your second choice can be bronze or silver and then it's entirely your choice for a third driver so uh, pole position first time out would be the number 29 car set for actually a very good start to their year racing team Nederland, Jot van Aute guesting in place of Nick de Vries, Skida van der Garda and Fritz van Eerd. One of, he it would prove to be, one of the quickest bronze drivers on the grid.
0: Yeah, so it really reflected well on the team as well. You've touched on it, they changed from Dallara to Orica and really got their wheels square on the ground. And I don't know, any time I looked into their garage, we had shots of their garage. They just looked like a happy team. Dutchmen going racing and really starting to not just Think they really started to believe they could work their way towards the front. So a king start for them, the 2019, 2020 camp- championship.
1: And GTE Pro, um, this was a, a a real guess from from the start of the weekend as to who might be quickest. And a balance of performance, as it is at this level, is finely tuned race on race. But the ACO had to decide on some figures leading into this Silverstone race, and I suppose based on what had happened at Le Mans and, this, and the Spa event the previous season. But Ferraris look very, very good in qualifying. 151.1 as a combined time for James Collado and Alessandro pierre put the 51 car on pole. Alongside it, the sister machine of Davide Rigon and Miguel Molina, only two-tenths shy and then this yawning gap it looked like of 6 tenths back to the next best car which was the Aston Martin and Porsche's who eventually would have a very good weekend really didn't hit their marks it would seem in qualifying
0: again we touched at the start of this uh, program on the fact that uh, a season that runs for almost a year and a half it, it, you forget these things but i totally thought of that opening round oh my golly what a what's Porsche doing with its new car will it be able to be developed enough to get on the pace and yet when the chequered flag fell after four hours of racing, yeah. they took one and two. Bruni and Leitz beat Christensen and Estra. So it goes to show, but really when you had that spread in qualifying, I was thinking, hold on, in GTE Pro, you really shouldn't have more than a circuit like Silverson. 0.2 of a second, 0.3 of a second should be the biggest margin between them. So this was many times that, really, from the Ferraris through to the Porsches. But uh, come the end, it was the Porsches in front. So it then seemed to settle down through the rest of the season in gte pro after that in terms of qualifying pace
1: and first blood in gte am uh, aptly named the blood red uh, tf sport aston martin named by driver charlie eastwood would take pole position at the first event of the year that was the number 90 car from team project one's number 56 and the other aston martin this time prepared by aston martin racing for paul Dallalana, darren turner and ross gunner Big change of line up there in car number 98 and they would get third place on the grid. So we started with this threat of rain um, and actually a clean getaway, amazingly enough. The, the reworking, of course, of Silverstone means that uh, Abbey and then the run into the loop can often cause a bit of carnage at the start of a World Endurance Championship race. But amazingly, everybody got through. And then it was a question of uh, keeping their noses clean for Toyota. Uh, as we said, winning in the end by a lap, but had to ride that storm of uh, literally uh, of the uh, the passing shower. Um, the number eight car had... A- Not so much an obvious problem, something that the team could never have planned for, but Brendan Hartley's windscreen wiper's packed up, if you remember. So the arm was still going left and right, but the blade was nowhere near the screen. So quite how he managed to finish that stint, uh, nobody really knows. I had an old MG like that.
0: (laughs) Horrible on motorways.
1: Yeah, so that was certainly not part of the plan. But in the end, the car uh, that had that problem... Uh, only finished 1.9 seconds behind the seven of Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi, and Jose Maria Lopez. There wasn't such great uh, luck for other cars, as you mentioned. There was the the difficulty with the number six Geneta, which lost its right rear at one point. Uh, but also, um, was it that car? Yes, Ollie Jarvis. Uh, an awkward moment heading into Maggots and Becketts when he went for a half move on the on the GT Pro car of Miguel Molina. And basically put Molina out of the race, slammed into the barrier. And when the Ferraris looked good in the previous day in qualifying, they just did not have the luck come the race.
0: No, that was one of those moments you don't expect to move like that from Oliver Jarvis. He's not a driver who tends to make mistakes. And it was one of those ones you thought oh, a bit of a strange day. But then again, the Ginettas were having to fight really, really hard to stay in the mix. They'd already had a few problems here and there and uh, just one of those things. But it was a bit disappointing for the second Ferrari, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, so you look back at the Porsche result and think, well, they had everything go right, you could say, on, on the first race of the day. And uh, there was certainly some bad luck elsewhere floating around, including, uh, you could say, this was self-enforced bad luck for uh, James Collada's teammate, Alessandro Pierguidi, who overtook around the outside the leading Porsche at the time. This was at Cop's corner, but ran out wide whilst he did it. And track limits, the, the track limit infringement was pinged in the officials. And he had to come in for a drive-through. In the end, giving up the race lead. And so uh, it would be a Porsche GT Team 1-2 with Jean-Marie Bruni and Richard Leitz taking the opening win of the year, number 91. And Michael Christensen and Kevin Estra in the 92 car. So everything looked rosy at this point for the brand new RSR 19, which was straight out of the box. Um, LMP2, after an awkward day the previous afternoon um alexandre quayne a nasty accident at brooklands in the european le mans series when he was t-boned in his uh, cool racing lmp2 so they had to do the following day's race the wec event as just two drivers nicola lapierre and antonin borger it didn't seem to slow them down at all though because they took the victory by almost 50 seconds
0: exactly so but don't forget it was a 4 hour race how they would have fared in terms of well having done the european le mans series race the day before and then uh, this one as well. Had it been a six hour race, I think they'd have felt a little more drained. But for cool racing, brilliant preparation of the car. Looks fabulous. And uh, Nicola Lapierre, I haven't quite totted up. Well, I have somewhere how many P2 class victories he's got. But it was really thoroughly earned and um, gave them put their marker down. United Autosports, let's reiterate, their their car retired from the race very early on. So they didn't get to show really what they could do. But uh, their time would come.
1: And an unusual result, you might say, for all the wrong reasons, for Signor Alpine Elf. Because generally speaking, 2019-2020 was a season to forget. But just about one of the best results going for the French squad with their Alpine A470 would be second place in the opening round. And they finished ahead of third place finishes racing Team Nederland, Fritz van Erd, Guida van der Garde and Jop van Aertert. Perhaps the writing was on the wall in LMGTE-AM. We would be hearing a lot more about this trio. Francois Perodo, Emmanuel Collard, and Nicholas Nielsen who took the opening win of the year in the eighty-three car. Two of that two thirds of that lineup returning after a good portion of time out of this particular championship. The Aston Martin, number ninety-eight of Paul De La Lana, Darren Turner, and Ross Gunn finishing second ahead of the best result of the season, Bruce, for returning squad. Number 70, MR racing, um, they I think would come close to the podium after that, but never actually reaching it. Moto Aki Ishikawa, Olivier Beretta, and Kei uh, Kozolino, the driver lineup. Um, so at, the, at this stage of the year, MR racing uh, looked a, a squad to be keeping our eye out for, but they didn't necessarily have the look for re- the look for the rest of the season.
0: No, entirely not, but then what, five weeks later. Change of scene, change of continent, off to Fuji we went. And this gave me one of the standout moments of the season, the start of the race. Toyotas on the front row, Igor Orichev in a Janetta, powers past one of them into turn one, very nearly picks off the other as the track drops away down to the right. And the Janetta leading a race, not by default was not what I expected. Didn't quite get into the lead, but it was just such an exciting start. And you talked about sequences, the opening sequence of corners at Silverstone, that tight turn one at Fuji, almost always an accident, but somehow the field got through without any damage. And it was a really bold move from the Russian and, you know, went, trying to remember what happened a year and a bit ago suddenly I remembered that and I just thought that was one of the best moments of the year for me just really exciting because it was unexpected and it was a really good piece of driving too
1: yeah and uh the, those opening exchanges really did match the pomp and ceremony around the 60th world endurance championship race after this all started uh, in 2012 at uh, in Florida of all places and uh look at the amount of places the amount of venues. Uh, and races that we've had since then. This is where the uh, success handicap first became into being then. And it it meant that various parameters could be adjusted to attempt to slow down the teams that were doing well in the championship. So whether you were in the privateer or the hybrid part of the uh, entry... That meant that potentially a minimum weight could be adjusted, maximum total fuel flow, the maximum fuel flow per stint, and also maximum fuel rig diameter size. There were two other parameters exclusively reserved for the Toyotas, which meant that they could be adjusted the maximum petrol energy per lap and the amount of hybrid energy, which was crucial, that they, they could release Per lap measured in megajoules, and remember the Toyotas, as Bruce has already mentioned, become four wheel drive when that hybrid is enacted and uh, out of the slower speed corners onto. How long is that straight at Fuji? One and a half kilometres. It it was so crucial for the Toyotas to get a good exit out of there. But interestingly, come the race, they would run out of hybrid power, probably halfway down it. And that's exactly where the privateer cars, their acceleration just continued on and on. And we had these fascinating battles over and over again of the rebellions and at times the Ginetta being able to overtake the Toyota before they got into turn one yeah that was always one of the really strange things over the
0: years the decades we've watched cars getting a decent exit from that final corner the uphill uh, right hand onto the start finish straight and then use the toe they get closer 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 and then pull out but these ones you know the toyota's went ahead pulled away right that's you've lost your toe and then the genetics and rebellions just kept on coming and could put it off it sort of defied what we're we accustomed to in uh, in terms of getting getting an aerodynamic advantage down the straight but it, it made for interesting racing. I always think the World Endurance Championship should go to Suzu, uh, to Fuji because I think it's a format, it's a bit fiddly down the bottom end. And certainly that uh, turn 10 chicane caught a, f- a few people out during the race. But I just think it's a really good place to see cars being th- put through their paces. Uh, talking of the paces, I mentioned Richard having that brilliant start. He, he didn't stay in second place for long, went back to third, went back to fourth, and uh, up second place, not even halfway around that opening lap came. Bruno, who who really drove beautifully in the 2019 20 season in his rebellion to put it up. And it took Toyota until about another half dozen laps later before the second car, their number seven Toyota, came through to give to the first and second positions in the race. But um, it did show that even with the the first level of pegging back, and obviously the number seven car being pegged back more than number eight, because that was the car that won at Silverstone versus second place, the number eight, that they could still eat their way to the front of the field.
1: Yes, at this point of the year, it was reasonably simple to work out the calculations for success handicap because the idea is that you, as your reference point, you use the team that is lowest down in the championship. But the problem was that as we got further and further into the year, that would continue to be the Ginetta, which wouldn't increase its points. So eventually there was a virtual reference point that had to be introduced. But heading into Fuji, an eight-point gap between the seven and the eight Toyotas. So reasonably easy to work out that the eight car needed to be marginally faster. There was a slight tweak for Ginetta with Charlie Robertson moving from the five car to the six. That would open the door for Luca Giotto, who at the time... Had had three uh, wins in the FIA Formula 2 Championship, and the new lineup in car six would be Charlie Robertson once again, Mike Simpson, and Guy Smith. With uh, Ollie Jarvis for one race filling in for Paul DeResta in the number 22 United Autosports car, because Paul busy with his uh, Formula 1 media duties. In LMP2, um, we welcome Nick De Vries for the first time into the championship, filling, uh, or rather, van Fanatic was standing in for him at Silverstone. Uh, that, again, proved to be a great uh, three drivers for the 29 car because, OK, they might have had a bit of safety car on their side, but Fritz van Erd still had to do his minimum drive time. They come out with a win by a lap.
0: Indeed, a whole lap clear of the DC Racing Orica of Aubrey, Stevenson. Tongue. But, you know, by this point in the season, Giro van der Gaarde, he's always impressed me. But his, to me, my prayers got answered later in the year when he was made to start at the back of the field in Spa and, and still got up into the P2 class leader. He's the overtaker extraordinaire in that black and yellow uh, colour scheme. It was uh, very, very easy to pick him out. But that was great. But don't forget, high-class racing moved up into uh, the lead of the race and then got caught out by Ray. These were the, one of the teams that came up from the European Le Mans series and I, I love seeing different different uh, teams being at the top of P2. But in the end, the smiles all round in Racing Team Netherlands, Gavard Garage, made that trip the whole way over to Japan more than worthwhile.
1: Uh, there'd be a retirement for a team that would do well for the most of the season, the 38 Jota crew of Roberto gonzalez uh, Felix De Costa and now Anthony Davidson, who joined the team from Fuji onwards. In GTE Pro, uh, a first win of the season for Aston Martin in the number 95 crew, the Dane train, as it's so often referred to, Marco Sorensen and Nicky team with Michael Christensen and Kevin Estra, I think just about hanging on to the championship lead. Yes, they did. But the 95 car closed in a little bit from that. And uh, Aston actually scoring a first and a third place finish in the pro category. Tricky race for Ferrari, only good enough for fourth and fifth. And often their complaint for Ray of course, is that things aren't quite as even as they, they might be on the balance of performance. But again, didn't have a huge amount of luck. Uh, the f- two Ferraris,
0: no, in, in entirely not. But uh, you know what? What stood out to me was the fact that Aston Martin won GTE Pro by an entire lap for Christensen Esther's Porsche, and that is not common. In GTE Pro, so slightly unsettling time for some some of the manufacturers there. But Aston Martin really starting to look good, and also, uh, you know, they did it on a track that was um, predominantly dry. We did have that little little flurry, so it was an interesting run for them. But uh, let's face it, Johnny, over the years, how many races have stayed fully dry at uh, Fuji? Count them on <laughs> about
1: one finger. No, uh, yeah, indeed, and uh, the the. Uh, engineers up and down the pit lane would have been glued to the radar to make sure that thing. The narrative of the race wasn't going to shift dramatically. Uh, the 90 car that took the the win in GTE Am it would be its first of the year, and the lineup for them would che- would rather stay for the whole of the season. So uh, Johnny Adam, Charlie Eastwood, Sally Yolich, it'll be the first of actually four wins they took in total. And this was the first time we could see the 86 Golf Racing Porsche in a very different livery. It started off in its more traditional Golf Blue with the orange, um, but changed to a, a stealth-looking black with the orange piping. Uh, the name of the team could not be altered, as per the ACO rules, uh, but nevertheless, nice to have a, a different-looking Porsche on the grid, so heading to the four hours of Shanghai, uh, and this by the way would take place at the start of November. Uh, we had both Toyotas level pegging on points, both with 44, so they would be pegged back by the same amount, exactly as you could say, really, at Silverstone. Although everything was set to base levels at the previous two, to, uh, two months prior to this, uh, but 44 points slightly easier as far as making the calculations are concerned. Charlie Robertson becomes the lone point scorer in car number five, but steadily and surely Gustavo Menezes, Norman Nato and Bruno Senna are creeping up the championship table. The 29 racing team Nederland team arrive in Shanghai with a six-point advantage, courtesy of their win last time out. And it is still Michael Christensen and Kevin Estra leading the uh, GTE Pro Drivers' Championship but only by a point now because of such a good result for Sorensen and team. And it's very tight as well in the GTE AM standings. Only 10 points separate the 83 and the 90 squads, AF Corser and TF Sport, who would be the main protagonists for the whole of the season. So four hours of Shanghai, a history-making race, Bruce. Because of further adjustment on the success handicap, we have a brand new pole sitter. Rebellion, looking great. It it was um,
0: really, really good pair of qualifying runs uh, for them. But then pole position, particularly at Shanghai, you got a nice easy line into that opening corner. But unfortunately for Bruno Senna, he was fourth knocking on fifth by the time they got down there. Do you remember it was the worst start of the season, Johnny?
1: Yeah. He didn't get away, did he? And uh, Not at all. The, yeah. Whether that was wheel spin, gear not engaged correctly. Uh, I'm not sure whether we ever did get to the bottom of that. But those to take advantage were the two Gionettas positioned right next to the Rebellion on the grid. However, they chose to overtake Norman Natto, who did the opening stint in the number one car, before the white line. Now, despite how slow the pole-sitting car is going, that car, strictly speaking, is dictating the pace. And both the five and the six, in good positions later on in the race, would need to come in for drive-through penalties. So, an awkward moment for team lnt they took their medicine in fairness and uh, returned to the race but having qualified second and third uh, that was rather disappointing but to- yeah the headline news was that first ever privateer on pole and the toyosas were back in fourth and fifth that it was always going to be a tough afternoon despite it only being four hours for the japanese mark
0: yes and i think particularly for janetta they'll really rue that penalty because they came. At the end of the race, at the end of the four hours, they came home in fourth and fifth places, effectively the last two positions in lmp one But uh, and then they were only going to do one further race thereafter. Might not have known that at the time, but when you got an opportunity starting second and third and you muck it up, in fact, they were just caught out by how truly dreadful it was to get away for that number one rebellion with Norman Nato, as you pointed out, at the wheel. But uh, rules are rules and uh, just one of those things, I guess.
1: The other worry for everybody in the race was that the the high tyre degradation at Shanghai. Uh, Silverstone had been resurfaced just weeks before the four hours uh, there and uh, Shanghai's track surface, renowned for being brutal on tyres, whether you're running Michelin's or Goodyear, and the 95 Aston Martin in GTE Pro had a massive lead, if you remember, leading pro comfortably, and then had a huge tyre blowout on the start-finish straight, Uh, and the 95 then had to limp all the way back, pretty much for the whole of a lap, to get that tyre replaced. But it was something that every team had to be mindful of, again, because we were on the the smaller allocation of tyres, just uh, three sets plus the extra two, should you get a puncture, slightly larger um, uh, amount of tyres available for GTEM. They had five sets plus the extras, uh, but it was something that teams, no matter what category you ran in, uh, had to be mindful of. Bruce,
0: exactly. So, and in in many many ways, you sort of think of Shanghai, and I, I don't always think of high tire, high, high tyre degradation, but it proved to be the case. And I just remember at the time thinking, had that happened. Going down towards turn, is it 14 at the end of the back straight, they'd they'd had the blowout. It wouldn't have been too bad. They'd have only had to do two corners, get into the pit lane. But that lap must have taken, oh, two to two and a half times as long as as normal. and, And just so unfortunate for Aston Martin there.
1: It was a good race for Goodyear, though. And this may well have been their first win of the season I think it was the 29 car runs on Michelin's, doesn't it and the 42 also yes so first Goodyear victory for Jota and they also managed to finish second for the sister car Jackie Chan DC Racing so um, a, 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 a chance for Davidson Gonzalez and Felix Da Costa to score their first 25 points of the season and at this point I'm thinking we've had three races three different winners in LMP2 we are set for a stonking season
0: Uh, exactly so. Um, And the thing was, the same faces coming towards the front, but being really, really close. It looked, and the wind's being divided between them. It was all all looking fantastic. And I thought at the time, whatever's happening in P1 with the adjustments, Toyota just seemed to be good enough to to remain at the front. They might lose the the odd race here or there. But I just thought that P2, the battle's going to be so good in that, and the battle's going to be really strong in GTE Pro. That will help us through a season people have looked at and said but who is going to beat Toyota it really was going to be a good distraction
1: well you speak about that in LMP1 uh, they managed to back up their uh, pole position the rebellion crew with a first privateer win of uh, the WEC history and okay it was only after four hours but they managed to win the race by just over a minute from the number eight Toyota of Sebastian Buemi Kaz Nakajima and Brendan Hartley And the seven crew finishing in third, just ahead of the troubled Gianettas with those two drive-through penalties. Uh, The drama for the number 95 Aston Martin rather opened the door for the 51 AF Corsa Ferrari of James Collado and Alessandro Pierre Guidi. And it will be another victory for Tom Ferrier's outfit in the uh, red Aston Martin number 90 for Sally Yolich. Charlie Eastwood and and, uh, Johnny Adam. But a good result for the 57 Team Project One crew. They'd had a nightmare at Silverstone, I remember, having to start from the pit lane following a problem that was presented to them by Porsche themselves. It was a, a problem with the customer car and not of their making. But finally, their season will be back on track with a second place for Ben Keating, Larry Ten Vorder coming in for Felipe Fraga, who was busy with his Brazilian stock car campaign at this point, and Jerome Blakey Merlin who stayed for the season, and the 98 Aston Martin of Paul de la Lana, Darren Turner, and Ross Gunn finished in third place. So the second four hours of the season out of the way. That's effectively the two short races done. And at this point, we still have a planned trip to Brazil in the new year and also to Sebring, followed by Spa and the 24 hours of Le Mans. But it would be, uh, we, th- we thought at the time, uh, uh, the championship's only visit to Bahrain uh, next. This was in December and it would be the eight hours of Bahrain with the number eight car of Buemi Hartley and Nakajima, leading by just three points. So again, success handicap kicks in for this meeting, Bruce, slowing the number eight car, but only very slightly compared to the number seven. Yes, and then
0: we had the grid with a rebellion on pole and a Janetta wrong side. And do you remember how greedy Charlie Robertson got? He was second going into the tight turn one at Sakir, and then decided, oh, I'm close enough to have a go on centre as they turned left at turn two, but unfortunately clattered into the side of him and uh, that really rather spoiled the race. You know, here we are in an eight-hour race, the longest one we've had so far in the championship. And unfortunately, uh, you know, two cars off. In fact, I think there was a third car off behind her. I think one of the P2 cars, if I remember, I can't remember who it was now, uh, got knocked off at that fir- first sequence of corners. So it was very disappointing in a way. Oh, it was a Jackie Chan DC Racing Orica. That was the other one that went round.
1: In avoidance, I seem to remember. But that was that not just a bit uh, too much right foot from, from Charlie Robertson? And he got yeah. into a half-spin. And in the process, clouded the side of Bruno Senna. He did
0: putting them both off, and then of course, when you've been um, thumped in the side, you never know what uh, might have been broken. But that that put the Toyotas uh, t- one Toyota into the lead of the race, and uh, really, it was just one of those unfortunate things. Here we are with the performance balancing, and suddenly you've got two of the cars that could take it to Toyota already hampered, and yet we've not got past turn two on the opening lap.
1: Yeah, the rebellion capable of a 142.9, the only car to go beneath the 143 mark. The number five, Junetta, was a couple of tenths slower, uh, and the margin that we were all keeping our eye out for was half a second between the quickest privateer and the best of the Toyotas, the number eight car, slightly quicker by four tenths of a second on the starting grid. So, yes, crazy start, and whether it was that contact for Bruno Senna or an entirely unrelated issue, it would mean that the rebellion would have gear shifting problems later on in the race and they would lose two laps, so that would really take them out of the reckoning. They did finish and they finished in third place but uh, the, the, the three extra laps next to the names of Senna Menezes and Nato really told that story. This would also be the last time we would see the Ginettas in the whole of the championship and not a great way for them to go out. Neither one uh, classified uh, by the end of the race. But at least we did have Chris Dyson though, who I mean, it was always his plan to be there from the start and from Silverstone, but injured in an accident in the States, a racing accident. And, uh, had to wait a long time for him to, to actually take part in the championship. And it, it would be a short-lived affair, Bruce. Yeah, really cruel because he
0: travelled some of the other races, you know, not to race, but to watch and feel part of the team. And then he gets one go and then that's that. But uh, Chris Dyson, if there's a way that he compete in the World Endurance Championship in the years ahead, I'm sure he'll come back and have another go. He's, he's got it so much in his blood.
1: There was plenty of carnage elsewhere. I seem to remember also on the run through turn one, a Ferrari and a Porsche, Uh, started to really muscle with each other and elbow each other out and uh, thankfully managed to miss the three stranded cars just out of turn three. Um, But there would be contact. There was a dramatic looking crash for the number 88 Porsche at the end of the, the long back straight and some punctures as well so it was one of those races yet really had to survive okay everyone got slightly higher tyre allocation but the nature of this race again on an unpredictable track surface which is changing all the time because it runs from day into night and uh, in the end Bahrain gave us two cracking races in the same season.
0: It did and um, it's funny how some circuits when when they're, they're given their debut, something like the World Championship, Formula One Championship or whatever, you're not quite sure what to make of them. But the more I watch racing at, at Bahrain, the more I like like the circuit at Sakir, particularly that wonderful stretch from turn four down through those sweeping downhill S's, to, you know, turns five, six, seven, and then you dive down to the tighter corner at turn eight. I think there's a really good uh, track there. And uh, I think we all poo-pooed it when it was given its... Uh, Formula One debut, we thought, oh, another track created in a country that doesn't really have a racing history It all looks a bit bland. But it, it's maturing, and I think the drivers really do enjoy going
1: there. The 57 Team Project One crew achieved its best result of the season, and actually this was the, the last of three back-to-back podiums. So they got the win in the GTE-AM category, and it looks like a shrewd manoeuvre to have brought Larry Vorder in, who eventually became the champion in the Porsche Super Cup the following year. So Felipe Fraga busy with Brazilian stock cars, but Ten Vorder uh, getting just about the best results for the team with the 57 car.
0: Yeah, he just looked totally in in his natural place when he joined the team. You know, years of great results in, in the Porsche Super Cup, but yeah, took to it like a duck to water. And uh, the Project One team with its Porsche seemed to be going from strength to strength. So uh, I, I think his rivals worked out, hmm, we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on this one.
1: There was also uh, the first and only podium for golf racing with their relatively new paint scheme. By this point, third place for the eighty-six for Ben Barker, Mike Wainwright, and Andrew Watson, and uh, also a second best result of the season for the fifty-four crew of Castellacci, Fisichella, and Thomas Floor. Uh, a, a kind of long worked-at relationship, those three, and this must be something like their third season in a row that they've kept that combination going. So the win in eventually in LMP1 going the way of Toyota, but would this be a bit of a change as far as the direction of LMP2 was concerned? Four races, now four different winners, and a first victory of the year for Phil Hansen, Philippe Albuquerque and a returning Paul Resta. They win it by 21.5 seconds, so it was a tight run thing up against Roberto Gonzalez, Antonio Felix da Costa and Anthony Davidson. But after they had electrical problems at the start of the year, and you touched on this during Paul De Resta's opening stint at Silverstone, I think that lasted five, ten minutes maximum because of a fuel alarm going off. Uh, incorrectly, incidentally, because of course they'd filled the car to the brim for the start of the race. They had to sort that issue out, which was more of a drama that uh, Orica needed to straighten out with the laptops. There was also some sticky moments at uh, Fuji, but I feel like th- this was this was the race where United season really got going.
0: It was, and I, I think recently when you can put one over an outfit like the Jota Sport Trio and the Jota Sport team and it's obviously been doing it for a long time, you know you really, really have arrived at this level you you know no one doubted they could do well but this was them proving that they yeah they really really could do well
1: and another win for the 95 aston martin crew now this was an important victory because of the increased amount of points on offer it being an eight hour race so rather than 25 the aston crew number 95 got 38 points basically on a ratio of one and a half roughly speaking um and that would put them into a championship lead heading into the new year by 15 points. So it's the Dane train's ability to score and score in the all important races that deliver more points, Bruce.
0: Exactly. So, and I, th- I think you know whatever the point ramification was, there was also another feather in their cap because at this at this point at this point in the season the Sakia Eight was the best race in GT Pro. It really was close uh, through the early stages of the race. In fact, through most of the race. Uh, And provided the TV director with somewhere to look at every single lap that the battling was that good. He had to tear himself away to look at the other cars. But uh, so I think it was almost like a double win as well as the extra, you know, with those extra points as well uh, for Aston Martin.
1: So four out of eight races done and a bit of a bolt from the blue at the start of that month, actually, that Bahrain was held. uh, It was announced that due to the failure of the promoter for the six hours of Sao Paulo to fulfil contractual obligations to the championship, that that round would have to be cancelled and instead replaced by a return for the Lone Star Le Mans event, effectively the Six Hours of Cota, uh, which was last to feature in 2017. So uh, rather than South America, to North America, the championship would go, and to Austin, Texas, uh, which has always produced a, a decent race, Bruce, often in support of the weathertech sports car championship but this time it was standalone
0: it was and again what makes the circuit so good the circuit of the americas great and it makes the cars look dramatic it feels much more involving for the drivers to have to work their way up and down the slopes up to turn one then the plunge down through those wonderful s's that seem to keep on going for about eight or nine corners uh and again a, a good race but uh, not a toyota race the second win of the campaign for Rebellion, as Menezes, Nato and Senna uh, pulled away from pole position. And then by the end of the race, by the end of six hours, they were 51 seconds clear of that number eight Toyota this time, Buemi, Hartley and Nakajima. But do you remember there was drama towards the end because they only managed to pull off Victory for Rebellion by saving fuel they just, you know, backing it off. So they didn't have to do a late race splash and dash, but it kept us on our toes, uh, talking about it. And uh, well done to Rebellion.
1: Yes, the. 30-point deficit that Menezes, Nato and Senna had in the championship compared to championship leaders Conway, Kobayashi and Lopez did give them, again, an advantage on the, uh, not the equivalence of technology, which is set for the year, but the success handicap system. But as you said, it was a nail-biter to the finish and just over 50 seconds, the winning margin in the end. Aston Martin had really started to establish themselves as the uh, Championship leaders, although on the the only manufacturers championship left in the wEC only had a point only had a lead of sixteen points because both cars score towards that Aston were on one four eight versus Porsche on one three two as far as l m p two was concerned, a, a pattern starting to develop then because the driver lineup was settled hansen albuquerque Resta, and uh, another win of a similar margin actually 24 seconds this time over the 37 car for jackie chan dc racing but they get the maximum 38 points in the previous round 25 this time and the, this is really sending me signs that the 22 united car is is one to look out for for the remaining races yeah
0: a lot a lot of pride with that and um Again, for them, you know, coming somewhere like Kota, it's not somewhere they've been before. So it's not like just trotting over to Spa where they competed in the European Le Mans Series. So this must have given them uh, United Or Sports, Richard Dean and the guys, are a real, real boost with that uh,
1: second win of their campaign. Generally speaking, a good result for Jota because they get both cars on the podium. A, a tricky phase of the, of the season for racing team Nederland because they had gone into. The lone star, rather, gone into Bahrain as as championship leaders by a couple of points, uh, but came out of Kota just uh, a, a few points off the top by that by uh, the sixth round of the season. In fact, had fallen to fifth by the sixth round of the season. So, uh, I wouldn't exactly say that racing team Nederland season was going off the rails, but they were just finding those podiums slightly more difficult to come by. Also at Kota, uh, another great result for the Dane. Uh, duo of Marco Sorensen and Nicky Team um, ninety five winning again, winning well, and you know it's almost a case of uh, uh, the the relationship
0: between Team and Sorensen is so tight. I remember Nicky Team, the effervescent Nicky Team, always describing Marco as his brother from another mother. They're just like that, and with their confidence being up, they really started to believe. And I do, I do believe that success breeds success, and for Aston Martin Racing maximum points all thank you very much indeed and of course Aston Martin even more reason to smile the AMR Vantage didn't win in GTE am but the TF sport version most certainly did Adam Eastwood and Jolich are doing it again um and they they in fact the second of the Aston Martins the AMR one came through into second place in class so really really good day in Texas for the Aston Martin crews
1: yeah, the 98 crew actually completing back-to-back second places. Uh, three podiums in a row for that team now and, and equalling their best result from Silverstone. Uh, there would be a, a late change in the driver lineup, and I think this is the point in the season when Darren Turner uh, steps aside and Augusto Farfus comes in for the next couple of rounds with actually a returning Pedro Lamy for the final uh, event of the season at Bahrain. We'll get... To that, uh, in due course. But nice to see Pedro Lamy still on the end of a phone, potentially for uh, Paul Lana after you know such a long-standing uh, relationship with him and Matthias Lauda. Uh, when you go back to last season, so that's the uh, six hours of the Circuit of the Americas done. And well, the plan next was to travel to Sebring for the 1,000 miles, the, the second event, the second season that that event would have run to be taking place on the Friday of the 12 hours of Sebring, the bigger event with the much longer history, of course. However, more or less the week that everyone was due to fly out, that event cancelled because of the outbreak of coronavirus around the world and uh, that part of America really suffering from it. I know one or two people that did actually make it to the track expecting it to, to take place. Others, thankfully, were lucky and were due to get on a flight maybe within the next couple of days. But really, at this point, uh, the championship is thrown well and truly up into the air and we wonder whether it's ever going to get completed, Bruce.
0: Well, through the course of 2020, uh, we got used to calendars being drawn up, agreed and then thrown in the bin and starting again. And this was just another one of those that uh, threw big question marks in the air. Of course, it turned out the replacement for this event would be Uh, what would become the last round in Bahrain the second visit to Sakhir but uh, at that point we thought we didn't nobody knew how bad things were going to get and um, it was very very unsettling Uh, but off to Spa-Francorchamps we went instead in the middle of August now there's a slightly interesting point here the race we had at Spa-Francorchamps was a six-hour race and of course That meant it got a certain allocation of points. But had we had the 1,000-mile race, Johnny, would that have given us more? I'm trying to remember now, had we had the 1,000 miles at Sebring. And according to your performance potential, if you're one of the Toyota crews versus the rival crew, they would have probably preferred the number eight crew, I think, would have been, found it more beneficial. They'd have been in a better place heading into a race at Sebring for eight hours uh, than they, they would have done. Otherwise, but anyhow, it was a six-hour race. It was Spa-Francorchamps, long-standing WEC favourite, and uh, always the chance of rain, yeah,
1: and then some. But you know, the point that you make is is a very much a, a good one because the same success handicap data was used at Spa as it would have happened at uh, at Sebring. So yes, uh, this time across a shorter race and, and fewer points on offer. So um, it would have been interesting to see how the championship might have panned out, had it uh, been able to stay to the original schedule. Qualifying took place, um, still the number one uh, rebellion, uh, the favourable performance, now only a 19-point gap, though, to the championship leaders, who are still Mike Conway, Kobayashi and uh, Lopez. That was the case, heading into the Lone Star Le Mans as well, although the, the... points gap between the two toyotas has narrowed by 3 so it's in it, you could argue that the success handicap is doing its job because it's tightening the the points margin between the top 3 and regulars in the lmp1 category so uh, qualifying goes the way of the number 1 car they do a 159.5 which is 8 tenths quicker than either of the toyotas that's the sort of margin i was expecting to see more often and the Toyotas have to therefore take up second and third places with a returning by Collis Racing Team. Now, this was all with a view to a rearranged Le Mans that couldn't take place in June. So instead, a September date was found. And you do traditionally get, Bruce, a few extras to the entry in readiness for, for the big event the following month.
0: Spa-Francorchamps has always had its extras turning up. But for all that and that eight-tenths of a second advantage, the number one rebellion didn't even lead at the start of the race. In fact, another car led for the first five laps, the safety car, because, of course, we had a huge, huge deluge just before the start of the race. I mean, rivers running down the track, so they had no choice to start the race behind the safety car. After five laps, though, the field was released, and, and again, we talked on of the four-wheel drive element that the Toyotas enjoy when the hybrid's being used, and that was enough for them to just blast their way past and push the Rebellion back into third place in fairly quick order.
1: And in the end, the Rebellion couldn't quite finish on the lead lap, so uh, an indication of the dominance across six hours. But the Toyotas gave us a good fight, and the seven car, which should have been slightly slower took the win by 34 seconds, but that was just a quirk of how the pit stops panned out. Buemi, Kaznakajima, and uh, Brendan Hartley making do with second place. Therefore, yet another win in LMP2 for the 22 crew. They had arrived at Spa with a four-point advantage over Gabriel Obrey, Will Stevens and Hope in Tongue. That would extend out to, uh, well, 22 points uh, heading into the following race, but... You could say that the 37 crew were a little bit on the back foot. They had lost Gabriel Obrey, who had failed a coronavirus test leading into the race. And that meant a great opportunity for Ryan Cullen, Irishman Ryan Cullen, who had never taken part in a standard WEC race before. So he was plugged in to the 37 car, Bruce.
0: Yes, over the over the, those of them, I'd completely forgotten that. But again, a season over a season and a half. Yes, he he plugged in and he played very well. But the person who played best of all was Guido van der Garde, starting stone last on the grid. I mentioned this at the start of the uh, review. He worked his way into the lead of P2. Just the most extraordinary series of uh, fabulous overtaking moves past the GTE cars and then the whole way through the P2 field. Standout driver of the year for me, that was.
1: It, it certainly, yeah, I fully agree, and, and rewarded with a podium, uh, as it turned out. Jot van it back in again to replace Nick de Vries, but the, you know, Keita van der Garde made a name for himself throughout the season of how amazing his getaways were in that opening half an hour. Cool Racing would finish between United and Racing Team Nederland with a good result from Nicola Lapierre, uh, Antonin Borger and Alexandre Coigny. And, of course, last time the 42 car would feature... That close to the sharp end. Quani wasn't able to enjoy it with them on the podium, although he was just a stage left, in fact, on crutches at Silverstone. So nice for Kwanee to experience the champagne first hand. In pro, Pendulum possibly swinging back again to Porsche, although points-wise, it wasn't too bad for Aston Martin. They finished second and third, and again, the Sorensen and team uh, duo who had arrived at Spa with a 26-point lead, scored well with a second place and although the points lead would narrow very slightly, uh, they would still hang on to it. Also a victory for Manu Collard, Francois Perodo and Nicholas Nielsen. So the 83 car scoring its second win of the season, they started the year with a victory and the result at Spa would be the first of three podiums in a row, it would turn out. We've not mentioned a great deal about a team that has so often featured at the front, but Dempsey Proton Racing... Um, the 77 car scoring its best results at Spa, uh, Matty Campbell, Ricardo Pera, and Christian Reed, who I think even still now uh, has been an ever-present in every single WEC event. They go on to score second place at Le Mans as well. But prior to Spa, where were the Dempsey Proton racing cars? 88, you could say, a little bit of a revol- revolving door as far as its drivers were concerned. Because I think in every single round, they never did have the same three drivers.
0: Yes, it was always Thomas Prining, TBA, TBA. That was their lineup. Yes. And, uh, the young Austrian drove really, really well through the year, but it's not easy with a, a fresh uh, group of people each time around.
1: 13 different drivers I made it that they that they got through. Prining stepped away for a couple of races and was replaced by Luca Legere and Marco Holzer. Uh, and more about Holzer and his two co drivers towards the end of the year. Also, uh, Johnny Molim's outfit, Red River Sport. Now, um, we talk about Johnny's uh, kind of imminent retirement, uh, and it's happened on several occasions. I understand. Now he has always maintained that he is still retired. He's just driving as part as, as his duty to company Red River Sport, which is aimed at bringing non-professional drivers into the sport and ultimately trying to get them to Le Mans, which is something that happened in 2020. But the 62 Red River Sport Ferrari scored uh, there. Their third, eighth place in a row, I noted, uh, which was just about as best as it got. However, there is marked progress for Bonamy Grimes, who's the, who's the non-pro within that. And Charlie Hollings, as well, deserves a, a tip of the cap.
0: Yes, indeed. Do, everyone's doing things in different ways. But the whole project's been about uh, advancing Bonamy to the higher levels of the World Endurance Championship and, uh, you know, his race's ambition is obviously success in the Le Mans 24 hours. That will have to wait, but didn't have to wait long in terms of getting to Le Mans because that was the very next round. So unusually for the World Endurance Championship, not uniquely, September was the date. And of course, not just would it be cooler than the the high, high temperatures of June, but we'd have an awful lot more darkness. And it really did give the race a very different feel.
1: And... Those things were an issue, as were as was a little bit more leaf fall as well. It being autumn, and some of the GT cars with their wide open grills uh, really did suffer from problems within that as well. But we had a new format to look forward to in qualifying, hyperpole, which was always planned to take place at Le Mans in 2020, um, became rather than the Thursday night entertainment, Friday. Morning, just prior to lunch entertainment, but it involved um, the top six in each of the four categories P1, P2, GT Pro, and GT Am progressing into a, a hyperpole um, cut and thrust session where all of the cars that had qualified for that part of the weekend were allowed. The track to themselves, so it was much quieter than having 60 odd cars out there and proved to be very exciting. Something that uh, I think is going to be continuing on at least for, for next year's Lamont, or rather this year's Lamont, 2021's Lamont.
0: I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was very simple and. Simplicity, I think, has a very big role in motor racing, particularly if you're trying to draw in new fans. Don't make things complicated for them. Certainly through 2019, 2020, out of necessity, we had that uh, equivalence of technology element at the front in P1. And I thought, I thought Hyperpole was sensational, really good to cover on TV and radio, easy to explain. And that was beautiful. The drivers then stood up and uh, put their hands up and uh, did a fabulous job.
1: We should say as well that the shackles were off for this weekend. There was no success ballast within the GTM category and there was no success handicap either. So the Toyotas were at the speed that they were at the start of the year, effectively. And uh, everything is mapped to a longer circuit compared to Silverstone. So the eight and a half miles of Circuit de la Sarte. It was a pole position and therefore a championship point to Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez. But not a Toyota front row. Shock horror because the Rebellions were able to split them and the number one car or one Rebellion was able to be in the middle of Bruno Senna, Norman Nato and Gustavo Menezes. Not many people would have thought that at the start of the week. That was certainly one of the more
0: surprising things through the 2019-2020 season, but... uh none of us were complaining mix it up mix it up mix it up was very much the sentiment particularly if that can be done at the front of the field so when you have those traditional shots looking back at the field powering up turning arcing to their right as they go up the slope past pit exit we don't want to see manufacturers going through two by two mix them up and it looks so much better.
1: LMP2 a dominant performance for uh, the United Autosports crew, and from memory, was it Paul de Resta who was sent out for Hyperpole to set the, two, it's at the, rather the 324.528 and to give the 22 car, at the time, championship leader, another pole to its tally? Then you have to look down to Racing Team Nederland, who was second on the grid, and the high-class racing crew, who achieved third. After Hyperpole and GT Pro, it was a Porsche, who managed to get the uh, pole position for Jamaria Bruni, Ricard Leitz and Fred Makaviki, joining as a third driver, of course, as normally in the four, the six and the eight hour races. It's just been a two driver affair in pro, but you need three to get through 24 hours. The 51 Ferrari was second on the grid and the 95 championship leading Dane train, joined incidentally by Richard Westbrook as the extra driver would start from third. And in uh, GTE Am, the championship regulars, uh, so 61 not, but the 77 is. So Christian Reid, Ricardo Perra, and Matt Campbell will get the WEC point for that. And he, they outpace the 56 of Egidio Perfetti, Larry Temvorda, and Matteo Cairoli. But this was all done on rather two driver averages, just the more traditional way of qualifying. And that's something that's going to be adopted for the new season, Bruce, for 2021 and six races. Um, Going back to single lap and single driver qualifying.
0: Good, he said in a word. I think mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a step forward. So we had qualifying. What came next? The race, of course. The whole of the program was compressed, and for this year's championship, 2021, it's also going to be shorter than before at Le Mans. And I think it actually worked really well. The compressed program, of course, no no spectators. There'd been all those all the debates about how many spectators they could manage to fit in without you know, hitting trouble. But anyhow, it it felt a very different place uh, at Le Mans. And uh, at the end, it wasn't surprising a Toyota took uh, victory. It was the number seven, sorry, it was the uh, number eight car that took the win for Hartley, Nakajima and Buemi. But the unusual thing, the surprising thing is that both the seven and eight Toyotas hit problems in the race both had to be pushed back into their garage at certain points of the race so it wasn't uh, it showed how hard they were pushing but it just meant it wasn't a foregone conclusion
1: yeah and from memory was it both cars suffering from turbocharger issues and uh, the horrible job of having to change those red hot components halfway through a race is is not a, a task that is envied at all um but it uh, there's the seven car had the worst luck, luck again, and you really feel for Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi, and Jose Maria Lopez because, well, the um, those that uh, think there's a bit of a conspiracy going on when Fernando Alonso was driving the car will think that the eight car deliberately won those two Le Mans as it did. But I thought that maybe there would be a slightly more level playing field. However, this was just bad luck in terms of car reliability. It was better in the number eight car.
0: Yeah, nothing, nothing more than that. And but it just. You know, there was that moment when first, I can't remember which one went into the garage first, seven or eight. And in fact, the number seven had three periods in the garage. You just thought, oh, hold on. But uh, I really did feel not so much. Well, after the 2019 Le Mans, where it should have been Mike Conway's race until the dreadful problems when uh, Jose Maria Lopez was in it and they had the tyre pressure indicator indicating the wrong wheel etc you felt oh it's just doubly cruel to have a race taken away again because uh, a really good run but Buemi did in particular really did deserve that win he drove really really well whenever you get an in-car shot of uh, Sebastian Buemi he never looks happy but he was furious when the it started having problems this in this year's race but he drove really fabulously so uh, no complaints at all about the number eight crew taking victory
1: so almost the same as they lined up on the grid with, again, a rebellion splitting the two Toyotas. But eight Toyota wins from the number one for Senna Nato and Menezes. And the seven car having to make do with third and six laps down from the leader. But that did give Toyota Gazoo Racing the championship within LMP1. OK, they were only up against Rebellion, which became a single car after Silverstone and the two Team LNT, Janettas, which only lasted until halfway through the season and the eight hours of Bahrain first time around. But you've still got to win the championship, and they did so coming away from uh, the 24 hours of Le Mans with 202 points, an unassailable lead. Same can be said for Aston Martin as we move to GTE Pro in the uh, 24 hours of Le Mans. It was a victory, but not for the team that had been doing so well uh, in the bog-standard WEC races. That was the Dane train who finished third in the end with Richard Westbrook, but a victory for the 97 car. Maxime Martin, Alex Lynn and guest driver Harry Tinknell for the 97 crew. But the combined points for both cars gave them the WEC manufacturer's title for Aston Martin. We subsequently learn that Aston will be stepping away from the championship. So really that was their one opportunity to really seal the deal
0: sometimes you think it's serendipity in some ways, but uh, it's become the end of the season with uh, people like Aston Martin stepping away at field, to focus on Formula One, as we've found out, uh, it was confirmed by the end of 2020. It seems like a sad day. Uh, and certainly for Aston Martin, I don't know, it's a mark to me that should always be racing at the more end of story, as far as I'm concerned. Now, not not the end of the Aston Martin story in sports car racing. I hope, I hope they don't only ever do Formula One from now because Aston Martin, now I can count on my fingers really probably on one hand, how many manufacturers I think just belong to sports car racing and Aston Martin is very much one of those.
1: Well, the tectonic plates beneath this challenge are moving at a great pace, you will say. And uh, you know, I'm sure they're going to look at the the environment in a year or three's time and uh, further assess. But yes, it was a sad day when that uh, was announced, no doubt. In LNP2, another victory for United Autosports. So a dreadful start to the season. They are now in full flow. And Phil Hansen, Philippe Barbacarque and Paul de Resta were made to work incredibly hard in actual fact. I mean, this is the battle that really kept us going in the closing stages because nobody quite knew whether the 38 car, the Jota machine of Ant Davidson, Antonio Felix da Costa and Roberto Gonzalez would actually need a pit stop or not. We knew the 22 would need to stop in the closing hour. Would the 38? And the message coming out of Sam Hignett's team is that they were fine to the finish. It turned out that that wasn't the case. No,
0: Davidson had to follow Hanson into the pit. I can't remember if it was the next lap or the one thereafter and dive in. But the thing that always strikes me there were two United Autosports Oricas in the race, and the sister car with Willow in Alex Brundle and Jo van Ute was brilliant in the race, and in fact, seemed to almost have the legs on its sister car. But then, uh, I'm trying to think what it was, it was a wrecked oil line, and that just absolutely wrecked their race. We could have had a three-way battle to the finish in P2, which had been fabulous. As it was, though, of course, with that victory, uh, went to the P2 title. But obviously, De rest who... Missed the Fuji race, didn't he? he was uh, competing in the DTM. He didn't get a share of the title, unfortunately. But for Albuquerque and Hansen, what a season! Step up to P2 and the World Endurance Championship, nail the title first time of asking.
1: Yep, so that confirmed heading to uh, Bahrain a championship lead for Albuquerque and Hansen over Felix de Costa and Gonzalez of 46 points. Would actually narrow at the end of Bahrain, but that was fine because it was by that point an unassailable lead. As you said, Resta always 15 points back because of that missing round. But an incredible season for Hansen and Albuquerque, what with their European Le Mans uh, series exploits as well. They would be title winners in that. They would be world endurance champions as well. And, of course, winners of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And arguably the latter is the bigger deal and the biggest trophy. So uh, a splendid year when we were everybody else was seemingly suffering in 2020. Albuquerque and Hansen very chuffed indeed with all of their hard work and could go into the eight hours of Bahrain, version 2.0, uh, relatively relaxed. In GTE Am, well, there were earlier signs in the season that it was developing into a bit of a two-horse race, and this final race, uh, well, the the, uh, penultimate race of the season at Le Mans basically confirmed that uh, because it would be just an eight-point advantage that TF Sport would take to Bahrain over the 83 crew of uh, Collard, Nielsen and Perodo after a, a splendid race for not the... AMR run uh, 98 car that finished actually eighth in the end but the the true customer team Tom Ferrier Sport for so- Sally Yolich, Charlie Eastwood and Johnny Adam this was a magic win for that trio in car 90.
0: Yes and in fact it could have been an Aston Martin two in GTE Am I seem to recall the uh, AMR version had uh, sus- rear suspension failure that took them out of the mix that's why they ended up uh, much further down but for Aston Martin with their success in GTE Pro success in GTE Am Le Mans was very much a happy hunting ground. Then we had a two-month break, and then the replacement race to conclude it all. 14th of November, the eight hours of Sakia, As you say, Sakia 2.0, it most certainly
1: was. And again, a day into night race, but held slightly earlier than the first time around. That was a December race in 2019, and there were higher temperatures to contend with. Many teams didn't expect those and they would present a, a, a presenter twist in the tail. Qualifying, well, we're back to uh, success handicap uh, being initiated. But, of course, there were no other LMP1 cars to compare the Toyotas to at this point. The Junetas left the championship at the end of the previous year. Uh, Rebellion made a surprise announcement, you might say, to basically leave the championship after the twenty-four hours of Le Mans, and by collars, the number four car was only meant to be a feature at Circuit de la Sartre, So they did Spa and Le Mans, and did not go to Bahrain. So we got this peculiar entry, which just has two LMP ones, but it means that all you had to do was make sure that the Toyotas were comparable to each other, rather than mapping them back to a a points a, a tally further down. So, the seven point advantage was in the favour of Sebastian Buemi, Brendan Hartley, and Kaz Nakajima, having won Le Mans. 175 plays 168 points. Aston have secured their title, as have Toyota, and they have also managed to secure the driver's title, although it hadn't, it hadn't yet been decided whether the 95 or the 97 would win the driver's title. Horrible luck. For Alex Lynn, leading into this, he'd done every single race, but he he then failed a COVID-19 test and, gutted, doesn't even begin to explain it for the Brit. No, rotten, rotten luck.
0: Driver who's very much earned his uh, work status and uh, really wanted to cement that with the title. But uh, anyhow, he's bouncing back from it, but a a real sort of um, blow for the British driver right at the finale of the season. So who was going to take the title? they went to conway kobayashi and lopez by dint of taking their fourth win they obviously went to bahrain behind on points but of course the performance the victory for their teammates in the seven in the eight toyota the gave them a performance penalty and that really did seem to be the the element that just tipped the advantage in favor of the seven crew and they won by a full minute and with it took the title
1: Yep. And, of course, helped by the fact that it was accelerated points again, 38 on offer for the race win. Uh, But finally, um, Conway, Kobayashi, Lopez, that combination gets some good luck, not at Le Mans, but in the main uh, championship. And uh, Conway became a a, a double champion once again. And Lopez, famous now for taking two entirely different FIA World Championships, backing up his uh, number of successes in the World Touring Car Championship the United Autosports crew had already been victorious, but uh, they had a race to forget, really. This was partly down to, I suppose, not having a great starting position because... No, I beg your pardon. They did have a good starting position, third place, uh, but it didn't all go their way in the race. And in the end, the victory for Hoping Tongue, Gabby Obrey and Will Stevens, that would put the 37 car closer to the top of the pile. But in third position behind the 22 Uh, trio would be the 38 of uh, gonzalez antonio felix da costa and davidson so their 27 points would cement a third place finish in the championship gte pro well again uh, well actually a big story to tell about aston martin uh, because the 95 and the 97 cars had secured the manufacturer's title it was a straight fight in GTE between TF Sport and AF Corsa. I mentioned about the slightly higher temperatures than had been experienced the first time around at Bahrain. That was something Aston Martin had not expected at all uh, and did not see the need to have to change brakes in an eight-hour race. But uh, it, uh, it all really turned the result on the fact that they would have to stop before the chequered flag Bruce. Thank goodness they managed to
0: pull through it all. But yes, I mean, I don't
1: know, mid-November Bahrain?
0: Anyhow, it was an oversight, but it actually gave them their first manufacturer crown since uh, 1959. But they, they were fortunate to land that in the end. So uh, And then with the announcement that followed, that was that, that they were pulling out of the World Endurance Championship. I suppose it was a a, a a pleasing finale for them that they they got away with it. It could have landed on its first and thank goodness it didn't for Aston Martin fans
1: but you just imagine the emails that were probably going back and forth between AMR and TF Sport saying, Tom, you're probably going to have to come in and change those brakes. And after they were in a great position to take victory, they needed to outscore AF Corsa, uh, well, keep their head above water. It was eight points leading into the final race. However, eighth place finish in the end for TF Sport because of that brake change would lay the path open for AF Corsa and for Emmanuel Collard, Nicholas Nielsen and Francois Perodo. I remember a phase of that race where they were actually level on points and it was going back very similarly to the European Le Mans series. It was going back to numbers of wins, number of second places and even to the point of when they were scored in the season as well. But TF Sport, sadly, coming home in eighth, it was worse for Aston Martin Racing's 98 of Dalalana, a returning Pedro Lamy and Ross Gunn. They would be ninth for the same reasons and it would mean a championship victory in GTE-AM for AF Corsa, Bruce.
0: Indeed it was. Collard, Nilsson and Perodo. Collard and Perodo, how many years they've been racing together. They're good friends. They race well together. And it was enough. But uh, that was a sort of an unexpected twist of the tail. I felt confident they'd be finishing the season in second place in GTE-AM. But for TF Sport, as you pointed out, uh, it wasn't to be next year, perhaps. When I say next year, I mean this year, 2021.
1: So in the end... Uh, the Toyota number no. seven win by only five points. Mike Conway, Kobayashi, and Lopez ahead of the sister machine car number no. eight, with a, a very decent result for the Rebellion trio of Menezes, Nato, and Senna. Especially considering they didn't do the final round, finishing just sixty-two points adrift of the only manufacturers, the uh, the only hybrid cars. In lmp one we didn't see the Gennettas obviously finish the season and Collis was never a point scorer. Aston Martin took the manufacturer's title by 43 points over Porsche. They had pretty much sealed that uh, on the previous round and a very Ferrari number 250 uh, was the final uh, amount for the 51 and 71 488 Evos. In lmp 2 United Autosports take victory by 38 points over Jota and Sorensen and team become the driver's title winners in the GTE Pro division. And as I mentioned, Collard, Nielsen, Perodo in AF Corsa win by 13 points over TF Sport. So to the new season and deliberately condensed season rather than eight races, it will be six in a summer campaign as well at the moment as we speak Sebring remains an event that takes place on the 19th of March. That's the Friday of the 12 hours of Sebring the following day. Spa in May. Le Mans planned for its more traditional date of June, the 12th of June, so 11th into the 12th of June. Monza a month later in July. Fuji, the second of the flyaway events in September, and then to end at Bahrain the 20th of November. I think that's sensible decision-making from um, the team, that was outgoing at the time, Gerard Navarre, but of course, uh, F- Frederic Lequen has taken over as the head of uh, LMEM now, and he's got a tough job on his hands. You would think, in the current state of of the world, uh, but six races seem sensible. I think so. I think uh, yet again we're having a, a change
0: in technology, a change in the way it's harnessed for the World Endurance Championship. I think uh, the decisions that have been made and the compatibility the closing of the gap to racing in the states i think is all a very good thing and i I think give us a couple of years and i think the world endurance championship will really be speeding along with the positive news of uh, the audi return you know again one of those manufacturers that should be in the world endurance championship so I, i i'm i'm really positive about what lies ahead in the next couple of years it's not an immediate fix but i think some very clever decisions have been made and i think there's a sports car fans should be licking their lips about what's coming up.
1: And some of the footage of the new Toyota Hypercar that was obviously taken at Portimao within the last uh, few weeks looks very exciting indeed. So they've been testing that car no end and Glickenhaus as well returning. It's a heavier car for Toyota but uh, a lot of the technology has actually been carried over from the TSO50 into the new car. So uh, we've had a A difficult spell, Season 8 has been trying at times and one or two people have been rather puzzled about the equalisation methods but uh, we're coming into a new dawn now and a very exciting couple of years you would think in the FIA World Endurance Championship Bruce, it's been a delight calling uh, all the races with you over the last what did you say it was, 14 months? It's been a bizarre season, longer than the super season as it turned out Uh, but very much looking forward to uh, the future races in 2021.
0: Well, thanks, Johnny. It's been fun, and I'm looking forward to doing it all again in about 12 months' time.
1: Good stuff. Bruce Jones there. Uh, My name's Johnny Palmer. hope you've enjoyed us looking back on the eighth season of the FIA World Endurance Championship, and uh, we look forward to what's to come in that campaign, which should kick off in March at Sebring. We will see you then. Bye for now.